Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Are we awake? Are we out there? All right. Let me give a little warning this morning. Uh, some of you, um, some of you may see the demand that we're in called "Be fruitful and multiply," and might have a little heads up that um, maybe we'll touch on things that will be a little sensitive in nature, shall we say? And um, most of the children are dismissed. We leave middle school and older in here on a regular basis. Um, I just want to give you a heads up that if uh, I'm not going to get super graphic or anything like that, that's, this isn't the birds and the bees talk or anything like that. Uh, I taught middle school uh, in youth ministry for years and years, and we talked fairly openly in our youth group with our parents' uh, full awareness and knowledge about all uh, manner of talk and ideas and topics that are coming up in middle school. If you can see where I'm going with this, uh, let me just say this. For you parents, here's one of the values that we hold here at Neighborhood Bible Church, and we hold it really strongly, and that is this, that um, the church isn't somehow a replacement for what you're doing in your home. And you know the temperature of your kid. You know what's been talked about. You know kind of the parameters of, of what you've discussed and, and all of that. And if at any time this morning you feel like, wow, this is getting to a place where I don't feel like describing the rest of the questions that will come up from this, uh, you're free to get up and, and slip out, and um, we'll all just think that you left your lights on. Okay, so can we just say that fair enough? You don't need to feel awkward about that, and I say that kind of jokingly, but, but honestly, I, I want to leave that open. On the flip side of that, let me just say this. After years and years of youth ministry, I hear the sad tale that, um, you know, here's a, here's a true story. Uh, um, I think late, late middle school, early high schooler is laying on his bedroom in his, in his, uh, in his bedroom and mom's vacuuming and, um, and dad's left the picture long ago and um, the vacuum shuts off for a moment, doors close, the door pops open, a book gets tossed on, on said student's bed. No words are said. The door is closed and mom resumes vacuuming. The book is all on kind of like human sexuality and health, health ed type topics. No other words are said in this home for this kid. That's the direction that they're given. And a couple of just glaring, I mean, put these in spotlight kind of things. First of all, it's way too late by your sophomore, freshman, eighth grade year to be talking about this, bringing this up. Secondly, that is a really lame way to do it. Chucking a book at a kid mid-vacuum and say, here's pretty much all we're going to talk about this. Now, there's a little bit of a nervous laughter because I think a lot of us in this room had something similar. Maybe it wasn't quite that extreme. That's probably fairly extreme. But inside and outside the church, there's sometimes a hugely poor track record in this whole area. Um, just for those of you who, who would need some review of kind of where we're at in the series we're talking about, we're talking about this series called Demanding. And we're calling it that because there are commands from Genesis to Revelation that are in Scripture. And what we're doing is we're saying, we're not going to try and cover all of them, because that's really what follow me, follow me, Jesus' invitation to disciples is all about, is walking in those moment by moment, and finding out what is God having us do. But as we, as we launch out this morning, what we're really heading into is God's plan for the home, God's plan for marriage, God's plan for um, children. We're going to talk about children. How are you to interact with your parents? Parents, how are you to interact with kids? Mom and dad, how are you to interact with one another? How are you to interact with extended family? There are going to be all kinds of topics that will kind of creep up from this, um, from this next little segment that we're going into. And um, there's a lot here, and uh, this morning there will be a lot that will be kind of dumped out here, and let me pull back and start, uh, or, or take us back to the beginning of this series called Demanding, and issue this, um, this invitation, this uh, reminder, and that is that when Jesus approached his disciples, here's what he did, he didn't walk up to a tax collector sitting in his place of employment and walk up and say, hey, um, I'm a rabbi, I'm a teacher, and I want you to leave everything and follow me. And I've written um, a 13-volume piece of work that has everything spelled out for you. So if you could read this and then sign this 27-page contract, we're good to go. You'll be my disciple, I'll be your rabbi, we'll, we'll move on. What did he do? Walked up and he gave these two words, follow me. Remember that? What's powerful is at the end of Peter's life, and maybe this was true of other disciples as well, he kind of bookended that. Because he says at the end of Peter's life, he says, well, what, what is that concern to you? You follow me. 
In other words, all that we're going to talk about here, I will say things this morning that you'll go, wait a minute, I disagree with that. And I say, fine. I'm, I am really in, been in prayer this week to say, God, would you help me to speak the most helpful things? Of all the things we could talk about in this, would you help me to speak the, the most helpful things? And I think at the start of this morning, what we need to remember is Jesus has issued an invitation to a people, but also to individuals to say, follow me. And so, and so as, we, as we dump all this stuff on you, and part of why I left your notes blank is I want you to just, you can jot down what rings true to you or what you have questions about or what you'd like to talk about later, but I don't want you distracted this morning by a ton of fill-ins and all of that. I want you to, to, to listen and, and be engaged in that way. As we, as we talk about uh, marriage and as we talk about the home, um, let, me just, let me just start in a little bit of a different place. Um, we did not preview this. There it is. It's going to come right up. Um, these are probably microscopically hard to read, so let me just read these for you. But these are a couple of passages that give this idea that the gospel is utter foolishness to the natural mind. And when I say natural mind, I mean this. The mind and the state that all of us are born into, according to the scriptures, which is a fallen state in a sinful world. And so we come into to the world in a way stillborn. We, we come in spiritually dead. And so to hear the gospel laid out, like many churches preached a week ago on Resurrection Sunday, is utter foolishness. Let me read these verses. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The man without the Spirit. That's talking about God's Holy Spirit that promises to come and reside in us at the moment of rebirth. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That makes sense, right? Paul is just stating the obvious right here. But I think sometimes we've forgotten this, to think that somehow we'll get our brains around it, and if we can just logically get around it, then we'll believe, then we'll walk forward in it. And that's not to say, like some people would retort, well, you see, you're saying Christians should check their brain at the door, and there's no good facts and logic to being a Christian. That's utter foolishness and nonsense, and by stating that, all you're kind of doing is stating your ignorance. I would just say, begin to do the research on it. Begin to look into that. Don't just buy a little tagline from one group of people. Secondly, 1 Corinthians 1.23, But we preach Christ crucified. Here's what that is. That's the, that's the crux of the gospel, right? Christ crucified. Here's what it is. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Many of you in this room could just attest to what that looks like in real everyday life. So tell me again, what does a Christian believe? What is it you're putting your hope on? You say that you base your family on this. Tell me about that. And as you start to unfold it, sometimes there's anger, sometimes there's apathy, sometimes there's just snickering and going, man, I think you're pretty normal and level-headed in every other area of life. You're a very good employee. And I've just had this happen numerous times. People say, man, that sounds on par with the Easter Bunny to me. I don't get that. I don't buy that for a second. And I don't know how you look at me straight-faced and tell me that's what you believe. Had that experience before? So, so we're walking through life, and, and, and like, like we talked about last week or a couple weeks ago, sometimes the more you try to explain this to a natural mind, it just, it just doesn't make any sense. And you find yourself getting tongue-tied in it. Let me say this. I'm bringing all of this because of this verse. Ephesians 5.32 says this. Ephesians 5, by the way, is this outlay where, um, where, where Paul is describing that, that marriage is a picture of Christ and his bride. Who's the bride of Christ? The church is. We are. Someone in the back just raises his hand. Like me. I am the bride of Christ. And that's exactly an accurate picture. It's his people, Right? And so then he says this, at the end of this kind of whole big thing, outlaying, you know, there's, there's marriage in there, but, but there's the gospel in there. He says this, Ephesians 5.32, this is a profound mystery. And you think he's talking about marriage, because he's been talking about a man and a woman, and all that God had in store for that. But then he clarifies, but I am talking about Christ in the church. But he says this is a profound mystery because of this. Marriage is a profound marriage. 
In fact, I would venture to say this, that marriage is so profound that you and I, uh, even with the Spirit of God, all we have are kind of shadows of all that God intended for, 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 for marriage. And when we think about marriage, it's not just your wedding day, and it's not just a legal thing that California invented or the Americans invented or that somewhere in Middle Europe invented at some point, and so we all kind of do this tradition. I am putting out to you this morning that this is, that this is God-ordained and God-created, and it's so much more than we can grasp. Let me say this, because there feels like there's a tension in the room. There's probably going to be tensions in the room a lot this morning, and we're good with that. Um, this is a really, really good command. Here's how I want to do this this morning. Um, I was biking uh, not long ago, and I came across this sign, and, and it stopped me dead in my, I don't know, tracks, but pedal, I guess. And I'm like, I just have to take a picture of this sign, because it's just perfect um, that flower, shows, uh, flower and garden shows and gun shows are being uh, you know, put on the same post. And... Uh, and, and as you look at this command, be fruitful, multiply, here's how I want to do I want to hear the ladies on the count of three say, be fruitful. And then after that, guys, I'm going to lead you in and multiply. Okay, we're going to try this together. Okay, this is group participation. You ready for this? You didn't know you are going to participate? You are. Here we go. Ladies, it's be fruitful in your ladylike voice. One, two, three. Men. And multiply. <laughs> One more time. I mean, do you hear this? Here we go. Ladies. Yes! Give yourselves a hand! Man! Um, there are at least, uh, at least two love languages being spoken here, I think. You know, it's, uh, there's a certain sense that I think I, I haven't seen this before, but I, I saw this be fruitful and I'm thinking, you know, that sounds, you know, that sounds so, um, I don't know, tea party and scrapbook and that sounds very, re- sounds very, it sounds very reproductive. It sounds gardening. It sounds nurturing. I'm not saying you have to be into all these things. I'm saying that's how it sounds. And then other translations say, fill the earth. Multiply. This sounds like numbers, accomplishment, industry. I mean, just moving forward. And I thought, man, if we could just get the right fonts for that. I think it's saying the same thing, okay? But it's saying it in a little bit different languages. Here's what, here's what we're going to touch on this morning, okay? And we're not going to go deep into all these things, but these are on your headlines. These are in your kids' schools um, if, they, if they are not homeschooled. Uh, these, are, uh, these are in your office. These are, this is what's being talked about. And here if you hear any hot buttons in here, okay? Definition of marriage. That's what this touches on. Homosexuality. Abortion. Divorce. Remarriage. We're going we're gonna to touch on at least those items this morning and next week, and probably the week after that. Because as we talk about these things, not only is there mass confusion in the world, and in, and in your office, and in school systems of what are we supposed to put forward, there is mass confusion in the church of Jesus Christ. I want to pray right now, and, uh, and ask you to join me. <clears throat> Father, this morning, as we march forward in looking at what your command of be fruitful and multiply looks like, God, I know from, uh, from fact and I know from um, just guesswork, God, that there are many, many marriages that are here in the room that may listen to this on the recording, God, that are frail, that are hurting this morning, that are hopeless, that feel like uh, they have gotten a bit of the wrong end of the stick and God, I pray that a real sense this morning, by what we read in Your Word, by what Your Spirit does in this place, God, that there would be um, a profound stamp of approval on marriage. And God, that rather than having uh, listeners that would shut off ears and that would keep at arm's distance where You might want to go with this, God, I pray that You would soften hearts I pray, God, that you would um, allow us to hear from you in a, in a real way. Thank you, God, that marriage is precious to you. I thank you, Father, that you are in the work of restoration. You're in the work, God, of growing us into your image. And, of course, of course, that includes marriage. Father, we affirm this morning, and I affirm as, as a mouthpiece this morning, 
God, that this is so much bigger than any of us can really grasp. Like the temple God of old that, that has physical components, but, but really is a shadow of what's, of what's going on in heaven. So it is with marriage, Lord, between a man and a woman and, and Jesus Christ, the groom, and Christ, the bride. And we thank you for um, the power that you give us to live life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to, to open up your Bibles this morning to Genesis 1. And um, like I said, we're going to start just way to the left here this morning in our Bibles and, uh, and, and take a look at some things. I want to um, take you back to a time um, that, that a few of us can remember, and that was um, a time before there was an entire channel dedicated to things that were completely unreal, but stating that things were real. And if you're tracking with me, it's the Fox Reality Channel. Okay? There was a time in life on our TVs when this channel did not exist. Okay? Pre-reality television. That's where I'm going with this. Kids, I'm taking you back way long. You don't even remember what I'm, what I'm talking about. But I was there. I was there kind of at the start of this reality television. And I, lo- I, I, I use that term incredibly loosely this morning. Uh, the, the year was, was 2000 when a show came on called this, Who Wants to Marry a Multimillionaire? Any of you remember that show? Put your hand up if you remember that show. Okay, I remember this show. And, and the, the premise of the show was that there is this multimillionaire and they're going to bring um, you know, these gals here and they're going to they're create this sort of a thing and he's going to pick a bride and, and, and propose to her on the spot and get married. Um, the, the names of the people involved were Rick Rockwell. You couldn't make up something a little bit more real sounding? I don't know. To me, it sounds a little corny. Uh, and, and this girl named Darva Conger. And um, here's, here's what went on with this. After seven weeks, they, they proposed and, and moved forward with it. And after seven weeks, um, there was an annulment of the marriage, and they, and they split. It didn't last, okay? Here's what, here's what TV producers realized, though. This was a huge hit. This was a massive ratings success. And so they moved on to The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, Joe Millionaire, The Bachelor 29. I don't even know what they're on by now, but this is catching, and this has caught on like wildfire. That was the year 2000. That was about 10 years ago. Okay? So we've had a decade now of reality television. Um, you could go through and just start to kind of Wikipedia where those uh, relationships have ended up. Um, in general, I would say we're not doing great at getting together people on TV in a reality show. So just, just as a heads up, if you're applying to that show, because it'd be kind of fun to have 15 minutes of fame and live in a mansion for a week or whatever, do it. But if you're looking for love, please don't go there. Can I just throw that out? Is that solid advice? We good with that? Okay. No one's disagreeing with that one. Um, as, a, as a junior high and, um, and high school pastor and, and college pastor for a lot of years, um, I heard a lot of heartbreaking stories and kids that just came and they would, they would decide that, that um, their youth pastor is a safe place to come and talk to. And they'd say, Dave, can I tell you a secret? But you have to promise not to tell anyone. And I always told them this. I said two things to that. Um, one is God is about bringing things into the light and not keeping secrets. The, the whole garden was, we're going to hide from God. We're going to hide our nakedness and our shame. So we're going to make fig leaves. That's going to work. And then we're going to you know, try and snow God over by hiding. You know, and he won't know where we are. And ever since then, we've been trying to do that. So one of our middle schoolers would come up and say, Dave, I have a secret. You promised not to tell anyone. I'd say, I'm not going to make that promise, but I will make you two promises. Uh, one promise is this. If I tell anyone, it will be solely for your good. I will only say this again to someone because I love you and I care about you and I'm fearful of, of where this is going to go if this isn't talked about. And secondly, I will let you know who I'm going to tell. So, so it won't be any surprises. You won't look around wondering kind of who knows your, your secret. Some kids said, okay, I'm not going to tell you my secret. And I said, okay, you know, I mean, I'm here. I'm here, but those are the two conditions that apply. Other kids said, wow, I guess I'll move forward and, and let you know some things. I'm going to read some things. These aren't, these aren't necessarily specifically from kids, but I, I've heard all of these. Um, but this is a, a compilation of, of teens talking about their own sexuality, their own sexual experience. And I want you to think back just in your life. We've already talked about kind of how, how mom and dad communicated things to you and how well that was done or how poorly that was done. And then just listen to these. Um, a while back, I had an affair with a girl. 
not because I loved her or because she loved me, but because it was something to do and it felt good. Afterwards, I was so guilty. I was miserable on the inside, and it affected my relationships with others. I was angry and rude toward others. I began to give in to lust, which only depressed me more. Here's another one. This dates it a little bit, but I met, I met this guy at a roller skating rink. We were too young to date. That's a whole other topic. That was even before reality TV shows. We'll talk about that later. I'll show you a picture sometime. We were too young to date, but I would see him once a week at the rink. After a month, he invited me to his house. His parents were gone, and he wanted to have sex with me. I really wanted to say no, but I was afraid of losing him, so I said yes. A week later, we started to fight, and we, and, and, and we broke up. I feel so crushed. The love turned to lust, and the lust turned to nothing. I feel so empty inside. I want a guy that will love me, the, the person, not the body. I want someone I can love and someone to respect me. Am I asking too much? Third and final one. I love you. That's what he told me. We spent all our time together, but it wasn't great. Twice we thought I was pregnant. I went to bed with him for two months, so very young. Then he left, and now I feel like he never really cared. I'm still so hurt. Even after four months, I still cry because it's so painful. I've been used, and he lied to me to get something he wanted. In two days, it will be our six-month anniversary. Does he even remember? I cry and wish I were still a virgin. I wish I had never done it. I've lost something I will never get back again. Only after it's too late do I know the value of virginity. Now, I could go on and on and on and on with stories like this. And it's sad because it's not just uh, news articles, is it? These are people we know. We've heard this same story. I could, I could read for just a couple more minutes and probably ping on a lot of your stories as we sit in this room together. And last week I asked what I thought was an honest but maybe painful question. And, um, and made this statement that I think church ought to be a place where we can trudge through some stuff, where we can be honest with things, where we can deal with painful topics. And as I state this demand um, positively, be fruitful and multiply, there are a whole bunch of negative commands that go with our sexuality as well. Avoid sexual immorality. Over and over we see this in Scripture. I could have gone a more negative route, and we'll look at some of those next week in particular. What I wanted to do was I wanted to start with God's ideal. I wanted to start with the positive command. I mean, it's, it's instead of saying, don't do this, don't do this, avoid this, which is where I think a lot of people peg Christians and a lot of us kind of peg ourselves. We get into this guilt, avoid, don't mode. Instead of this, this offering, this command that says, be fruitful and multiply. And that's just such an awesome command. That's the ideal that God holds out to us. Is Daniel uh, Henderson in the room? Is he gone? Daniel, there? Stand up, buddy. Last Sunday, uh, what did you do last Sunday? Um, what vehicle did you go get onto? Remember? I'm leaving on a jet plane. Airplane? Didn't you fly somewhere? There we go. Give it up for Daniel. Woo! That was... Daniel, that was like the pre-question. I'm not even, we're not even there yet, but I'm going to let you off the hook. Um, Daniel, did you, uh, did you do any research on, on airplane travel and its safety before you got on that plane? Why not? You'd already been on one. Did you arrive safely the, the, the previous time? Okay. Did, you, did everything go fine on this trip? Okay. Um, did you just did you just go I mean kind of blindly forward and just say I ah, hope hope everything works out don't you know that air air travel is really really dangerous I mean people die all the time it's like a fiery horrible death I mean, did, I mean you didn't you didn't track with this at all Daniel you just got on that plane incredible that's a man of faith right there you know what. Um, Here's the, here's the reality. Most of us who, who fly, um, we just get on the plane, right? We, we hardly think about it. Let me just ask you a question. In fact, I'll ask you a specific question, Daniel. If you knew, if, if, if the, the, the data were in and, and it was unequivocally true that 50% of all airplanes crash and burn on their way to their destination, would you have flown to San Diego last week? 
No, why not? Because I don't want to die? That's a great reason. Thank you, Daniel. Good, we're up. Can we get some coffee over here? I just... Double calf. Something going on. No, thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. That's called being put on the spot. Um, here's the thing. We, we, we just wouldn't do it. I mean, most of us would say, unless we're just desperate to get somewhere, that is not worth the risk. How many marriages end in divorce? Yeah, 50%. Now, how about Christians and inside the church? 50%. So, 50% of, of people that statistically, as a pastor, that I will stand on a stage something like this and have them pronounce I do are going to end in divorce? I mean, we know this. We see this moving forward. Every couple I've ever looked at that is young, uh, pre-married, getting premarital counseling with my wife and I, is looking at me back saying, it will not happen to us. Guess what? I think that's true of most every couple. I don't think any couple gets on there saying, we're pretty much done for in like 18 months. <laughs> but we're pulling the trigger! We get to shove cake in each other's face! I mean, no one does that, right? And, and yet, that's the statistical reality. And I'm making light of something that, that, is, that is really painful. I come from a broken home. I know what divorce does to a little kid growing up. I know what it's done to some of your families. I know what it's, what it's doing in your minds right now as you contemplate. What would it look like separated from this person? What would it look like if I just didn't have to deal with her anymore, with him anymore? What if I could somehow legally separate from what I perceive as my enemy and my nightmare? People are buying that hook, line, and sinker. Imagine being in a war and your buddies are getting picked off with sniper fire left and right. I mean, they're just dropping. You wouldn't go, well, that's just, that's just war. A, you would, you would take some cover yourself. And you wouldn't settle for that and say, well, that's just kind of how it is. Here's what I want to throw out to you. Is that as you hear all this, as you hear stats and you hear some different kind of ideas about um, sex and relationships and all of this, you could, you could build a case that, that this is dirty and this is, this is something that's shameful and needs to be kept in the dark and kind of hidden and certainly not talked about in church. And I would say many churches acquiesce to that kind of idea. And they say, we're not going to go there. We're not going to talk about those things. Many youth groups do that. And I, I don't see any of the logic in that. I would always give my parents free reign to say, look, here's where we're going in a few weeks. You can look over every note I, I have, all of that. But we're going to talk about these kinds of issues in the church from the Bible. Because we don't want to remain as a church impotent in this area. We don't want to remain silent in this area. We want to be a, a mouthpiece for God. One of the things that Jesus said was teach the disciples all that I've commanded them. To observe all that I've commanded them. And I'm with you to the end of the age. And how is it that, that whole swaths of Christian homes say, this is too awkward, this is too hurtful, this is too shameful, I have weird ideas about this, I better just let my kids figure it out on their own. Or here's a good book. Or hopefully the youth pastor is going to say something about it. And we just chuck that idea and say, that's bogus, we're not going to do that. And we are going to talk about it as a church. I want to just say as we get rolling with this that, um, that I want to do this from a pastoral kind of way, a shepherding kind of way. I want to lead you to green pastures. I want to lead you to a, to a secure place to talk about this and think about this and chew on this. I want to lead you to the Scriptures. And I also just say this, that as a shepherd, I'm, I'm, like, a, I'm like a priest in the Old Testament in the sense that I struggle too. That I need to come at this and ask God for forgiveness for my own sin in these areas. For my own failure in marriage, in home, in bringing up children. And I come as a, as a fellow uh, follower of Jesus at the foot of the cross saying, man, we can sing these words, Alleluia. And God, while we'll never quite be able to say all that we should say and want to say, we're going to keep trying anyways. Because we're so thrilled that you have made us whole in these areas. This demand of be fruitful and multiply. Um, I'm going to really just give you a couple of points this morning. And um, again, they're not necessarily huge, huge to write down or any of that, but just I want you to think on two thoughts that I don't think you hear about many other places. Genesis 1, 27, read with me. 
It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And we'll stop there. Five more times just in Genesis is this command, be fruitful and multiply. And it's not reserved just for humans. This reproductive, creative part that God put that we see all around us in nature has a created design. And I feel like that's stating the obvious, but it needs to be boldly proclaimed out of my mouth from the pulpit, out of your mouth and life by the way that you live as a Christian, as a Christ follower. This is not random circumstance that that, that we all just kind of came to be as people. It is not random circumstance what we see in nature. There are always little exceptions that people want to talk about and throw out. Look around you, though. We look around and we see a created order. If you get time and you're looking for something to do, go on YouTube and type in something about, um, you know, amazing domino designs or something like that. There are people who spend, I don't know how long this stuff takes, but crazy um, domino things where they've designed all these things to happen and it's really pretty amazing to watch and you're thrilled that you didn't take the time to set it up because it's just, it would be ridiculous. Um, but I look at that and I say, man, you know, that's a, that's a little bit like watching that unfold and like that thing knocks and it swings, you know, this thing over here and it drops at just the right point and all these things continue. You ask any kid who's got the IQ of anyone and you just say, did this all just happen or did, was that, was, did someone figure that out? You would look at that and say, yeah, there was, there was something going on here that someone wanted these things to happen and is in control of it. And as we look at marriage, I already started at the top that the natural mind can't understand marriage. Just like they can't understand the gospel. And if, and if marriage, which is this is what the Bible says, if marriage is a proclamation of the gospel, then it's, then it's impossible to, to really grasp all that is going on there. Let me just make a couple of observations. Male and female, he created them. Let me just say this, that men and women are made different on purpose. And every single part and neuron and, and, the, and the way that a woman thinks and the way that a man functions, all of it was designed on purpose down to every last cell in your body. On purpose. By design. By a creator. It was God-ordained. We're not going to get too much into this right now, but we just had a, um, a couples group that wrapped up a whole thing looking at roles in marriage. And what is God's role for a man? What does He put on a man and say, this is your job, buddy. And gals, what are you to be doing? What is your role in this whole deal? There is a created order to all of this. And God unapologetically puts out in Scripture what those are. And there's little nuances we could argue about and fight about and talk about. And we will to the end of the day because we're sinful and that's what we do. Just like kids bickering. But it's there. And that's what we keep coming back to is we say, well, God put this here for a reason. He put this order here for us to look at. Second thing, observation I want to say is this. God is pro-sex. There's a stat out there that says, primarily women, but not always just women, but women and men, because of this maybe upbringing that has, that has shushed it and said, we're not going to talk about that, and all of that, 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 that men and women really struggle with the whole area of sexuality. And then you get into a, a God-honoring marriage. Two disciples of Jesus that are trying to follow the Lord, and it's just not working out. And they go, man, sexually we're having so many issues, it's so hard. What's going on? A lot of times there's a deep-seated, deep-rooted sense that, that this is dirty and that God's looking down on me as, as, we, as we talk about this and as we engage in this, as we, as we try to be a, a married couple. Think about this. God makes Adam and Eve. They're naked. They're unashamed. He didn't just one day look down and go, oh my goodness, what are they doing? I mean, what happened? You know? And he's just in utter shock and he can't believe it. And he's, he's got to turn away. I, no. I mean, that's the sense I think that we get sometimes. But, but let me just throw this out. And, and to say this sounds almost so mechanical, but, but think about some of the purposes of, of marital intimacy. And I love the way a lot of Bible translators put it. It's, he knew her. He knew his wife. You know, it's like, knew. Like, really knew. This is marital intimacy. Here are some of the intents for it. Here are some of the purposes of it. 
pleasure and intimacy or oneness, kids, communication, protection. Within the confines of of the God-ordained marital covenant, that's what some of the uses are. Now again, that sounds like kind of a checklist that you're like, that doesn't sound so hot. But think about where sexual intercourse has gone in our culture. Think about the uses for it and the design of it and the intents of it. And it's no wonder that we think, well, gosh, we probably shouldn't be talking about this in church with a Bible open, no less. God has different things to say. Um, I would venture to say this, that marriage is at the very center of God's purpose for mankind. Now, I'm not saying this, that everyone should get married, because the Bible clearly talks on that. We're going to touch on that a tiny bit here today. But when I say that marriage is far more important than most of us give it credit for, and when we say these words, what God has joined together, let no man separate, we've taken that and said, well, except for these different things. And frankly, we've, 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 just, we've just lost all sense of, of covenant relationship. Let me just throw out to you a couple of things that, that we can see from Scripture. One is this, that it is the first social institution. In other words, in the created order of things. Before God sets up um, governments and nations and churches and races or anything else, God sets up the home. God sets up the marriage relationship. I've had people ask me and say, Dave, do you really think... God's intent for us is to be one man, one woman for all of time. I say, yeah, absolutely I do. Why? And they say, well, I can't get past this hunch that that's just us following the patterns of our forefathers. And it just kind of developed into this. And so I just bring them back to Genesis. And I say, well, guess what? If, in fact, we have just random happenstance shown up here, and I don't want to make light of of an evolutional theory without getting into that dialogue, but let's just say that's a bent that you've had and a training you've had, then you're right. There, there's, it's, a, it's a free-for-all, and that's where we're heading. That's where we are, even within the church in some ways. So bring it back to created order. Not only is it the first institution, it's also um, it's, it's, it's really this introduction of what covenant relationship looks like. Here's what I tell couples who are getting married. You know what? I really don't care where we do it. I don't care what you wear. I mean, I care what you wear on some degree. Um, and, and I don't really care the exact wording that we use. I don't really care who's on the guest list. I don't care who your caterer is. Any of that stuff. What's most important is to recognize that what we're doing here on this day is we're making a covenant before God. We are entering into a covenant. Man, woman, God. And in covenant relationship, we begin to understand what the home is for. The home is to be this this greenhouse for understanding God's covenant relationship with us. What does God do with sin in a covenant relationship? I want to hear. That's a real question. What does God do with sin in a covenant relationship? Huh? Huh? He atones for it. What does that mean? Okay. You you could say it really, really simply in these terms. He overlooks sin in a covenant relationship. And the way he's able to do that is he has atoned for it. Right? He He has paid the penalty that's due that other person. How many times do you see this in marriage? I am going to punish him till his dying day for what he did wrong to me. You know, what, you know what she's doing? She's got this God-imprinted sense that someone needs to pay for the evil perpetrated against me. You know what? She's totally right. Totally right. Wrong application. God never intended that to be taken out on her husband, on his wife. But they're absolutely right that someone should pay. It's not that we just sin and it all just goes away by good feeling or good karma or something like that. Nonsense. And that's why we preach the gospel in our home all the time. You did wrong. You deserve this. But you know what? Daddy understands this because I've done wrong and I deserved it. And that's why we praise God and we weep on the day that Jesus died, but we celebrate the day that He died. Because he paid the penalty for that. And therefore, in this covenant relationship, I don't need 
to, to hold you accountable for that. I am not going to count sins against you. How many marriages do you know? Maybe you're sitting there feeling really awkward right now that count sins. They become an expert at counting and remembering and holding up the scorecard. Thirdly, it's a living picture of a relationship that Jesus shares with his followers. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 33. It lays out that we're the bride of Christ and built into our marriages. This is why I say so much more than we, than we even grasp. Built into your marriage is a proclamation of the gospel. Did you know that? Did you know that as you are married in your neighborhood, in your family, that as a Christ follower, you're actually preaching the gospel via parable? You're a living parable of the gospel. And men, as you, as you look at this, we're instructed this clearly. You are to lay down your life for your bride in the same way that Jesus laid down his life. Think about this. What did Jesus do to come for his bride? He left his father. Men and women were to leave our father and mother. We're to cleave to our bride, to our spouse. What did Jesus do? He left his place with his father. He came and He cleaved. He became one spirit with His bride, the church. And He's been faithful to us in covenant relationship ever since. That's what your marriage is about. Don't you see it's so much more than our happiness? Here's, here's a really appropriate response to someone that comes to you and says, I'm not really happy in marriage. A really appropriate response, not very loving, but would be, so? I mean, what did you think marriage was really about? Are there untold blessings in being married? Absolutely. And I can personally attest to the fact that I am thrilled that in about a month, I'll have been married 16 years, and I've just been so blessed by it. There are untold blessings in marriage. But if at year 16, I had some kind of a check mark that said, if I'm not reaching a maximum 7.5 level happiness, I'm out. I mean, it's built into our prenup, you know? Let's figure this out. And, and if we go into marriage that way, is it any wonder that we're just ripping these things apart left and right? Is it any wonder if we don't have a sense that God has joined this together? We were making a covenant before God, not before a, a few you know, kind of screwball groomsmen and, and some bridesmaids that one day wish they were the bride. We, if your groomsmen are in here, I'm sorry. Um... But this is something God brought together. And so let, let no man rip it apart. Let, let no one pull it apart. Fourthly is this. It's the divine process for obeying this command of God to multiply a godly legacy. It's not, it's not to be done any other way. It's, it's to be done within this, this covenant relationship of marriage. This command to be fruitful and multiply, as I said before, has this kind of negative counterpart of sexual, of avoiding sexual immorality and, and the like. Historically, uh, what we see is this: Th these are these are not uh, these are not new distortions of this, perversions of this truth. All through Scripture, there is a monogamous heterosexual norm of marriage. And then, and then, what cultures tend to do is this: they tend to start to veer off of that. Moderns, we didn't make this stuff up. Taking all the different things we could kind of talk about, affairs and divorce and pornography and homosexuality and prostitution and incest and rape. Taking all of those things, you know what you do? I was reading this week, here's where my devotions happen to be the last week and a half, Leviticus. Go read Leviticus. Go read Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. Go read Corinthians this afternoon. Paul writing to a church that had come out of cultures. This reads like a Jerry you know, Springer manuscript of what happened on some of his shows. And you just go, this is in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the Bible. We didn't invent this stuff. This has been invented long before us. Because of a heart that says, like, like Adam and Eve did in the garden, I'm in charge. I'm at the center. I know. I will now be independent of this. I'll grab the reins. I'm doing good on my own. And historically, you can go just study this up. Historically, cultures that do this do not survive. 
they, 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 they start during away from this and they do not survive. Why? Because the very foundational, very starting point institution has been ripped apart and eroded. It's gone. So all of a sudden, government's supposed to step in and fill that role? Give me a break. Not true. My nation, my, my national, it, it all erodes from that point. And we see that happening right now. Don't fear that we're in some astronomically different time than has gone on all through history. I would fear in the sense that look at the history of those nations that went that way. And I would fear in that I don't think it's ever gone this quickly. Go watch Leave it to Beaver on the old channel. What's it called? I don't know, FX? Is that some, there's some channel that does like shows. Nick at night kind of thing. Yeah. Go watch some of those. And imagine, you know, imagine young people today speaking like Wally, you know, and the Beeve. You know, I mean, it just, you look at that and you go, gosh, that's a couple generations. I mean, that's not that far removed at all. And it looks ludicrous. It just looks, looks completely out of place to walking the mall this afternoon. Um, Psalm 119.9 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? Here it is. By living according to your word, I seek you with all my hearts. Do not let me stray from your commandments. Commandments is not a dirty word. Commandments is the loving boundaries that God says, I love you so much, I'm going to lock my door at night and, and, and bound you in. I'm not going to let my four-year-old, three-year-old just wander out into the front yard to go play ball. I'm going to command that they stay inside unless they come talk to me. This is God giving us commandments in these areas. I was at Starbucks on Tuesday night. My kids were here, or the, the kids were here, doing junior high ministry, having a blast. And I just went to catch up on Bible reading. I was just there, just thoroughly enjoying myself. And two ladies walked in, and they sat kind of within earshot. And they began to dissect to the most unbelievable degree the, the latest ousting on um, Dancing with the Stars. And I'm sitting here, you know, I'm sitting here trying to read my Bible and stuff. A lot of times I just bring headphones and put some music on or whatever. And, um, and sometimes I'm able to just totally tune it out. But I'm sitting here listening to these ladies. And again, just, I mean, being really shallow, but neither one of them looked like dancers to me. Uh, they didn't seem like they had the, vo- I'm not a dancer, but they didn't have the vocabulary that I thought, eh, they probably just, you know, don't really know a whole lot of what they're talking about. But they were just going for it. Talking about all this and just ripping the people on the show, you know. And I just sat there and I thought, man, you know, um, it's so easy for me to be in a mode where, where I'm talking about things I don't know the first clue about. Or I'm distracted spending all this time and all this energy and let's get together and coffee and talk about people on TV. <laughs> and not talk about my life, not work on my marriage. Not look my wife in the eye and say, man, let's put the remote down and let's just, let's work on our life instead of critiquing other people's dancing. I mean, it's, it's silly. It's, it's really the silliest thing. And we go, well, we don't, we don't really have time for it, though. We don't have time for a marriage conference, for sure. And we don't have time to, to create space and date nights. And we don't have, that's baloney. I just, I don't buy that for a second. Some pastor said that Facebook and Twitter and all these things is just, is just a tool to say that at the end of the day, when, you know, at the end of the age, when you come and you have this excuse that says, I just didn't have time to pray, Lord. You just point to their Facebook account or Twitter account and say, eh, not true. It's all right there. You had time to keep up and post that you're going to the store. <laughs> All your friends get to know about it. I mean, it's just bizarre. And, and, here's, and here's where this goes. It's this, it's this connection, right? We don't want to be isolated. We don't want to be lonely. And God says, man, I've, I've got it right here for you. Be fruitful and multiply. We take that literally. You'll never be lonely. You'll never not have someone to talk with and work out how to be patient with. Um... I'm so glad I put this in two weeks because we're just not going to get very far this morning. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Um, here's what I really want, you guys. I, I really want these weeks to, um, 
to create and, and allow room for us to, to respond to these things and think on these things and pray about these things and seek the Lord on these things. And as a community group, I put some questions in there for you. Some of them won't make a lot of sense because I didn't get to certain things this morning. But even in our services, I want the band to, to come on up and we're going to allow room um, to, uh, to musically and, 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 and with worship music have time to respond to the Lord on this. I would, I would just invite you, um, if you want to come and pray um, to the front, you can pray right where you're at, of course, but if you want to come and pray, come, come to the front. Um, why don't you bow your heads and, and close your eyes for just a moment. If the area of sexuality and the area of kids, child raising, marriage, is one of those areas that you said, God, I will allow for you to have access to all these different places, but not this place. I would just ask you and cry out to you, please. It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust in a good, sovereign God to allow Him space to that. Not allow me into that. Not allow a community group leader or a friend into that per se, but to allow the Lord into that place. Our hiding behind fig leaves hasn't worked for a really, really long time. For many in this room, perhaps, there's a sense that when Jesus says, follow me, we immediately know that that means I have to get up and move from where I'm at right now. And I'm either comfortable in this distance I've created for myself, I'm functioning finally, and so I don't want to get up out of here, or I don't want to be burned again, so I'm staying put. Don't listen to me. Listen to the words of Jesus. Follow me. Follow me. I'm not going to dance around the issues. I'm going to go right for the heart. I want to let my light flood in there and heal you and show you. And my message to you, son, daughter, is it's okay. I love you. You're not meant to bleed out alone on this. God, we thank you for the rock that Scripture is. We thank you for the challenging verses that you ordained to be in your eternal word for us to wrangle through and wrestle through. And none of us can stand up as some expert and say we've got this nailed and we're doing this all perfectly. God, would you use these next few moments even with song to have your Spirit, God, illuminate and comfort and heal and rebuke and lead us, God, into your created design for our sexuality, for our marriages, for our homes.